Sunday. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21 says, Since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former ways of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. What were you thinking? You ever been asked that question? You ever notice that whenever someone asks you that question, like the only thing that comes to mind is like, ah, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> or I guess I wasn't thinking. You know, how many husbands, you know, when your wife asks you, what were you thinking? It's usually because you did something <laughs> that was less than desirable. I don't know. Kids, when your mom asks, what were you thinking? You're like, ah, I know, I should have done it. You know, I remember right to this day sitting in the principal's office as a grade eight student, and uh, my friends and I had been sent down there, and as we were sitting in the principal's office, uh, the, uh, the um, substitute teacher had sent us down to the office, and the, the principal's question to us was, what were you thinking? You know, we had spent our lunch hour uh, having fun, at least in our minds we were having fun, uh, shooting spitballs around the classroom. <laughs> and, you know, it, but the thing is, I don't know whose idea it was, but we decided we were going to elevate our spitball game. Now, kids, if you're in the room, if you're watching, don't do this, okay? Don't do this. I've repented of this a long time ago because besides just being gross and discourteous and messy, uh, you know, and just, you know, it was uh, annoying, we, we, what we had decided to do was to turn the spitballs into little mini blow darts. And we took the little straight pins. Anyone remember the straight pins from the bulletin board? And we'd stuck them through the spitballs and we were shooting those around the classroom. How many know that's not just dumb? That's dangerous, Right? And uh, so here we were in the principal's office and being confronted with this thought, what were you thinking? Now, I grew up in an age uh, when a visit to the principal's office also meant a sit down when I got home with mom and dad. And so the question was repeated again later that day, what were you thinking? And by this time, I had sort of formulated my idea, uh, my answer. And, and besides just, I don't know, I, I had also coupled it with this other thought, well, everyone else was doing it, right? How many parents know, you know, that there's only one response that you reply to everyone else was doing it, right? There's only one proper response in the parenting manual. If everyone else was jumping off a bridge, would you do that too, right? Of course, and if you remember a sermon illustration I gave a couple months ago, the answer is yes. Yes, I would jump off the bridge because everyone else was jumping off the bridge, 
How many of you have had this conversation? You were either the kid being asked or you were the parent on the other side or you were the teacher or the principal. What were you thinking? Turn to your neighbor right now and say, what are you thinking? What are you thinking right now? You know, we laugh about it because it was so long ago, but the truth is the answer to that question is really one of three things. Uh, the, the one possibility is that I was thinking foolishly like everyone else, so I had the same mind and idea of them. The second op uh, option is that I truly wasn't thinking, and I was letting someone else do the thinking for me. Uh, or the third option was that I knew it was wrong, but I did it anyways in an attempt to fit in, most likely. How many know that as we grow up, our maturing process uh, involves thinking more clearly and more rightly about situations so that we act and we respond more rightly, uh, you know, despite what other people are doing, right? That's what maturing is, you know. As adults, we try to help our kids gain the perspective they need to make good decisions, uh, decisions that aren't always popular or easy or don't always come naturally, you know, if you've ever been a part of one of those what are you thinking conversations and uh, you're either on, even on the giving end or the receiving end of it, right? If you've ever had that conversation, you know that the encouragement, the, the admonition that goes with it is usually something like, like, that's not the way you were raised, right? Anyone had that conversation? <laughs> that's not the way you were raised or, or you know better than that, right? I expect more from you than that, right? I, this is not who you are. This is not who you are. You know, you know what's better than learning life's lessons the hard way? It's learning them in advance so that you don't have to have these hard conversations. You know, learning them before you're in trouble, making the changes to your thoughts and your attitudes and your actions before they lead you astray. If we can learn to ask ourselves, what am I thinking, before someone else has to ask us, what are you thinking, it would go a long way in our lives. That's what the Apostle Paul wants to accomplish in our text today as we look at Ephesians 4. And we're continuing on in our series called Made New, A Journey Through Ephesians. And if you're just joining us for the first time, uh, we've been recognizing that the front half of this book, chapters one to three, past, uh, Paul, the apostle, he's, he's made it so rich and full of theology and, and understanding of what God has done for us by his grace through Jesus Christ. And so he's been establishing this uh, solid theology, this solid uh, belief to establish our, 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 the, f the foundation of our beliefs on, about who we are in Christ and the privilege that we have of being in Christ. How many know that the gospel, this good news about Jesus Christ, as we've seen, is not just about turning over a new leaf in our life? The gospel is not just about turning over a new leaf. The gospel is actually that God, through Jesus Christ, by his grace, has given us new life. Right? It's not turning over a new leaf. It's living a whole and completely new life empowered uh, by, the, by the grace of Jesus Christ. You know, that's why we did it entitled the sermon Made Nice. This, sermon is called, this series is called Made New because that's what God has done for us. So because God has made us new, then it would only stand that there would be some practical areas that this new life is lived out in our lives. And so that's what the back half of this book, chapters four to six, are really about. Uh, Paul is saying that a spiritual awakening inside of our lives should result in transport living on the outside of our lives. And so he's gonna give us some practical ways to see that through. 
Last week, Pastor Adrian kicked off this section of a practical application in chapter four, verse one, where Paul says, therefore I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been lived, uh, called by God. What Paul is saying here is that, uh, and recognize that it's worthy of your calling, not worthy of salvation. Pastor Adrian was talking last week about how we don't earn God's salvation by living and earning uh, through our behavior. Uh, salvation on God's end is a free gift. It's given by his grace to any who would receive it. But salvation on our end, we see through scripture, uh, begins with repentance. As we look at that Greek word for repentance, the word is metanoia. Metanoia really means a changing of the mind. We begin with repentance, we change our mind uh, towards God, and we, we, the changing of our mind results in the changing of our path and our life away from sin and towards God. And so Paul's point here is that living a, a life worthy of our calling is recognizing, not that we are just called from something, we're not just called from sin. We're not just called from darkness. We're not just saved from hell. We're not saved from something. We're actually saved to something. And he said, we are saved to God's kingdom. And with that comes God's purposes and God's ways and wills for our life. We're not called, saved from something, but saved to something. And it makes a big difference. And so today we're going to see that a changed life begins with a changed mind. That's the theme of our text. If you want to turn Ephesians 4, 17, as we ask ourselves, what am I thinking? Turn to your neighbor and say, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? Ephesians 4, 17. With the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness and they wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Paul's saying that's not who you are. See, Paul's not mincing his words here. He's cutting right to the chase. There's a big difference in the way the world thinks and operates and the big difference the way we operate when we've been made new in Jesus Christ. It only makes sense, doesn't it? That if, Jesus, if you meet Jesus and are given a new life, it only makes sense that, that your perspective is changed. It's only, it only makes sense that the vision for your life your values and your goals, your, uh, your, even the interpretation of the origin and meaning of life is changed because of your encounter with Jesus Christ. For those who have not yet met Jesus, it only stands that their outlook would be different. Without knowing God, it's impossible to understand the world around them and to truly understand themselves. Listen to how Paul writes this, and this is thousands of years ago that he writes this, but it's so true and evident today. He says that they are hopelessly confused. Imagine, without knowing the author of life, people think that they are writing the story of their own life. How many know if you think that you are writing the story of your life, that you are the central character of that story? I don't know if you're, if you're like a puzzler, any puzzlers here, you like to do the puzzles? You know, if you ever have that thousand piece puzzle and you dump all the pieces on the floor, how many know what you do is you look to the box 
to see the inspiration or the pattern of what it is you're trying to build. If you don't have the box, all you have is a thousand pieces on your table and you're like, I have no idea where to start with this, right? You might start trying to fit pieces together, but you don't have the big picture. Paul says our world is trying to build the puzzle of their life without understanding the picture that the author intended for them. Warren Wearsby says this. He says, our world today possesses a great deal of knowledge, but very little wisdom. Wisdom is how we apply the knowledge that we learn. We become smarter and smarter, and yet we become more confused in our understanding and our wisdom. The more we learn, the less certainty we have about anything. If you look at our world today, there's nothing certain. Everything is fluid and changing. Without the truth, it becomes more convoluted and confusing. And we live in a crisis of identity and confusion today. Paul continues, he says, their minds are full of darkness. How many of you know there's a spiritual battle for the minds of people? We see this in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. It says, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand the message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. He goes on here, and he says, the result of this is that their minds are closed and their hearts are hardened. You know, Paul strikes this theme many places in his writing. We see this again in Romans chapter one that says, they knew God, but they refused to worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. They traded the truth about God for a lie. Their hearts are closed and their minds are closed. And it says here that they have no sense of shame. In the original text, though, the word there is really calloused. They become calloused. They become numb. They become insensitive to the truth. How many know the more you resist your conscience's orientation towards God, the harder your heart becomes? The more we uh, ignore this Holy Spirit's prompting in our lives, the more desensitized we become, the harder our hearts and the duller our hearing to the voice of God. Today, I want to encourage you, if you sense God convicting you, you sense God prompting you, respond to that. Don't harden your hearts. And the result of all of this, the natural result, is really what the Bible calls being spiritually dead. He says here that they're living to fulfill the desires of the flesh. Paul lays out this pattern of the world's thinking. And then he says to these new believers, these new believers who have come to the church that he started, uh, he says to these believers, he says, that's not you. He says, you know better than that. He said, this isn't what you learned about Christ. Paul, it's interesting in this section, verse 17, this is really important to him because he kind of pulls out the authority card. Right? He's not suggesting this. He, in verse 17, he says, with the Lord's authority, I say this. Right? He's saying, this is important enough. I'm going to pull out the authority card. I want you to hear what I'm saying to you today. Pay attention to the pattern you're using to shape your life. What are your role models? Who are your influences? Where are you taking your cues from? Ask yourself, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? 
You know what stood out to me as I was reading this passage this week, though, was Paul, he's so encouraging. Like, even in this moment of challenge, he's not berating or belittling. He's not, like, condescending. What he's actually doing is he's calling people to this higher calling. He's not saying, you failed and, and you, you've, you've like, lowered yourselves. He said, I want to remind you of who you are in Jesus. I want to remind you of who God says you are. I want to remind you of the calling God has on your life. I, I love that he's always calling us to this higher level. How many know that's encouraging today? Uh, we can be encouraged today that, that Paul's reminding us who we are and who we're called to be. Let's continue, verse 21. We've already read this at the start of this message. It says, since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust, lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. I love Paul's imagery here of our old nature and our new nature. Thinking, uh, our old ways of thinking and our new ways of thinking, our old attitudes and our, our new attitudes. And he's kind of using this imagery of like clothes. I don't know if any of you have ever been like out in the garden and you've been just really dirty and or, you know maybe even uh, out for a run or a hike here in this beautiful sunny Okanagan summer that we're gonna have at some point, you know. Or maybe you're out in the rain, you got caught in the torrential downpour, right? But it's almost like if you've ever been like in your old clothes and then you went home and had a shower and put on your new outfit, right? Doesn't it just feel so good getting into your new outfit? You just say, ah, this is fresh. A fresh fit, you know, it always feels good. How many of you, like, you had the shower, but you realized you forgot your new clothes, and so you had to put your old clothes back on after your fresh shower? Anyone ever done that, right? You know, it's like your old underwear. You're like, I gotta, that's all I got, right? You know, whatever it is, right? It just doesn't seem right. Paul's saying, don't, after coming to Jesus and being made new, don't put on the old things. Being made new. You've been made new in Jesus. Don't go back to the old ways of thinking and the old patterns of your behavior. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitude. A changed life begins with a changed mind. Here's the big question. What's the right way to determine what's right? Well, Paul, he's already laid out this compelling case for why uh, what's right isn't determined by our culture. He's already put out a compelling case about why uh, what's culturally normative isn't always what's right. It's easy for us to look even hundreds of years after Paul wrote this to see that what's normal isn't working in our society. He's also roundaboutly, you know, talked about and touched base on how we think and how we feel, you know, and, and, and uh, that can't be our basis either. You know, left to decide for ourselves, we always head back to our old patterns and our old ways. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I was picking up one of my kids, and, and Holly and I, we determined, okay, you're going to go here, and, I, and I'm going to go there, and I was like, I was supposed to go here, but I was already there. You know, before I realized, oh shoot, this isn't where I was supposed to be today, right? I, out of habit, I was driving there, but out of habit, I drove there. Have you ever had that experience before? And like, that's what happens in our lives. Our behavior is shaped by our beliefs, and so we have to allow our beliefs to be informed by biblical or kingdom principles. A mentor of mine, uh, uh, he used to always lead me through leadership decisions, and, and he would always ask this question, what leadership principle are you using to come to that decision? Really, he's asking, what are you thinking? 
What's helping motivate your decision making? And I like that thought. I want to transform it a bit for us today. What biblical principle am I using to come to that decision? What scripture, what biblical truth is informing this? What teaching of Jesus? What kingdom ethic is informing this decision? If I look on Instagram every day, there's people trying to form my thoughts and my shapes, uh, shape my mind and my thinking. I need to ask myself, what was the Bible saying about this subject? How is the Holy Spirit prompting me to move forward? What kingdom ethic is this decision displaying? I love it, you know, back in the 90s when I was uh, young and cool, uh, we used to have the bracelets that said WWJD, right? Simply, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do if he were you, right? That's a great question. Am I patterning my thoughts and my attitudes on the ways of this world, or am I patterning my thoughts and attitudes on the ways of God? What biblical principle am I using to come to this decision? Inversely, we can ask sometimes, what biblical principle am I compromising to come to this decision? Let's talk about compromise for a minute. Jesus was having a conversation with some religious elite people in, the, in Matthew chapter five. And, and these people always prided themselves in doing what is right. You know, so Peter, uh, Jesus is talking to them and he starts talking about the big sins of life. Now, I know there's not really big sins. Sin is sin, right? There's not really categories of sin. All sin separates us from the righteousness and holiness of God. But, but you know, we tend to think of some sins as bigger than others, right? Well, let me get my, my chart here for a minute. Let's kind of talk about some of these sins. And uh, so, I don't know what you would think like the biggest sin is. Any ideas? Murder. Okay, that's what I was thinking. Murder. It's like, there's no coming back from that, right? Like, you can't reconcile after murder, okay? So we'll put murders right down here. It's like the lowest sin. And uh, you're gonna see, this is the challenge of preaching in this room. Is like, I have to like show it like there's murder on the bottom over there, right? They murder, that's like right at the bottom. That's the lowest. Like, adultery is pretty bad, too. We, we don't really like adultery. And uh, that's like compromising, you know, uh, relationship, hurt and deception there, adultery. Um, you know, what, what else is pretty bad? Stealing, you know, you know not, maybe not quite as bad as adultery, but we'll put it here. Now, this isn't like, this isn't like a bad sin, but like, I think country music is kind of sinful. <laughs> so, I'm going to put up here. Country music. Right there. I shared this with a church one time, and, I, and the lady afterwards was like, do you really think it's sin? No, I'm joking. <laughs> joking. Just relax. Unless the Spirit's convicting you, then, you know. Uh, and how about another one? Like, uh, what about drunkenness? The Bible says drunkenness is a sin. So we'll put that up here. Not quite as bad as stealing. Uh, we'll put there drunkenness. There, all right, so there we have our plot of sin. You know, some of them are greater than others. You know, we got murder down here at the bottom. It's the worst one. And, uh, and so all these religious elites, they're talking to Jesus, and they're like, well, we don't do that, right? We do not listen to country music, Jesus, so we're good, right? How many know if you look at this list and you would say, hey, my life's been pretty good this week because I didn't do any of those things. Jesus is like, yeah, well, it's not just what you do but it's also your attitudes and your behaviors. And so Jesus begins to say, you heard it said, don't commit murder, but Jesus said, uh, don't even allow anger 
in your heart. And so Jesus comes along on the chart and he puts anger right here. And then Jesus says, you know, don't commit adultery, that's true. But he says, don't even allow lust into your life. And so he comes along and he puts lust on the chart here. You guys aren't getting the best for you over here, I know. Jesus says, don't steal, you know, but he says, don't even be greedy. Don't let greed into your life. And so he puts greed on the chart here. And uh, I don't know what compares to country music, maybe like classical or something. <laughs> he puts classical here, you know. And then, you know, drunkenness, Jesus said, don't be drunk, that's true, but like, don't even like self-medicate. Don't allow yourself to be numb to the, the conviction and to what God wants to do in your life. And so he puts that over here. And, uh, and so it's easy as we look at this chart that I'll show you in a minute, because if my easel doesn't work, I need an easel. Holly, would you come be my easel for me? Thank you so much. Pastor Holly, worship, community engagement, and easel. There we go. Thank you for being willing to do anything. So it's like we look at this and we go, well, I don't murder, and I don't commit adultery, and I don't steal, and like, I don't listen to country music much, and you know, I'm not drunk. So I must be living a good life, right? The religious leads like, Jesus, we're not doing any of those things. But Jesus comes along and he says all this other stuff. He talks about, uh, you know, he talks about anger and lust. He talks about greed and like classical music. And he talks about, you know, self-medicating things. And what do you realize about our patterns? It's the same pattern, right? Even though we're not living in sin, we're still living and operating in the same pattern pattern in our thoughts and our attitudes. And Jesus says, this isn't what I want for you in this new life. Thank you so much, Pastor Holly slash Easel. That's great. As we look at this, Jesus is saying there's a different way of doing things. Jesus said there's, there's this pattern that can be broken, and Paul's reiterating it here. He says, throw off your old sinful nature and the former ways of life. Everyone say, throw off. And then he says, put on this new nature created to be like God. Everyone say, put on. Yes. Everyone over here say, throw off. Yes. Everyone over here say, put on. Yes. Throw off. Yes. Put on. Yes. Throw off. Yes. Put on. Yes. And then listen to what he says. Let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. How many know that this isn't just sitting in a chair on Sunday saying, God, change me? How many know that there's an action, there's an active involvement here, throwing off and putting on, letting the Spirit transform us? In Romans 12, 2, Paul reiterates this. He says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new way, uh, into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll learn to know God's will for your life, which is good and pleasing and perfect. If you're going to pattern your life on anything, you've got to make sure that you have the right pattern to start with. That's what Paul is saying today. A changed life begins with a changed mind. Well, Paul goes on to give some illustrations of how we might see our old thoughts and attitudes pop up. In verse 25, he says, Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all part of the same body. He says, Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives foothold to the devil. How many know that anger makes you stupid? And when you're stupid, you do stupid things and say stupid things and you allow stupid thoughts into your life. 
gives you a foothold for the devil. Verse 28, if you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good, hard work, and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. We could just leave right now. There's a whole week's worth of work for us to do. Let everything I say be good and helpful this week, right? Verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Notice, just as God. The point of all of this is that just as God, that we would reflect God for who he is. That's the purpose of our life. I was recently reading about a group of Australian soldiers who in World War II were fighting off the coast of Borneo and as they were battling, they came ashore and as they established the beachhead and they took the security of the beachhead and they, they began to secure the area that they felt that they needed on this island to be successful for their campaign. And uh, once they had secured the, the area that they needed, it says that they began to patrol the perimeter uh, to make sure that they didn't give back any of the land uh, that they had secured. And what caught my, my mind or my reading in this was that was the way they phrased it. What they said was that the only means of securing the perimeter was by a constant offensive patrol. The enemy had not fully vacated the area. Now, what stood out to me was this word offensive patrolling. How many know that I would have thought that the word would be defensive patrolling? And yet in their words, they're saying offensive patrolling. How many know the difference between offense and defense is intention? Where defense is reactive, uh, offense is, is um, proactive. Well, what we need to do is proactively patrol our lives. We need to proactively patrol, offensively patrol the perimeter of my life. I need to make sure that there's no cheating around the edges. I need to make sure that there's no small indiscretions, no telling of white lies. Or I need to reject the lies that try to infiltrate my thinking about myself and my calling in God. I need to proactively patrol the perimeter of my thoughts and my attitudes you ever notice that every regrettable decision, uh, every uh, destructive behavior or addiction, uh, it always comes with rationalizing why compromise is okay in this situation, right? In this moment, like, no one will ever know. It's just this one time. You know, just one more time. This will be the last time. You know, this is what it takes to get ahead in life, right? We rationalize. Uh, uh, but how many know that you never have to rationalize doing what's right? right? You don't need to rationalize it. You don't have to compromise your convictions for an opportunity that God desires for you. God has a plan and purpose for your life. I want to speak to the students just for a minute, whether you're in middle school or high school or college, you're a young adult. Alice, you can listen in too. And it's this, is that choosing to do the right thing and choosing to follow Jesus, choosing to follow the pattern of thinking that comes biblically will lead to opposition, you have to understand this. Paul's saying right here, it's night and day. It's clear why one group of people think one way and another people think a different way. So uh, we need to understand that that's what happens. 
How many know that doing right and refusing to compromise, thinking differently exposes what's wrong with someone else's way of thinking? And no one likes to be told they're wrong, right? How many know that everyone loved Jesus until his righteousness began to expose their sin? That's the world that we live in. Jesus says, don't be surprised when people have an issue with them. You know, since my kids were babies, I've prayed this prayer over them every single night. I didn't pray for safety. I didn't pray, Jesus, would you give them a safe and bless, you know, just like keep them safe. What I always pray for my kids is would you help them to do what's right even when it's not easy? Would you help my kids do what's right even though it's not easy? And so many times I prayed that prayer for them at night. Uh, and over those years, I've also felt in my head, this is what I need to pray for my own life. Help me to do what's right, even though it's not easy. To be honest, even as adults, we recognize that it can be exhausting swimming against the, the flow of, of culture. It can be uh, exhausting, you know, standing out for what's right and thinking uh, about what is righteous in our society. You know, sometimes we could even get to the place of thinking, I just wish I could blend in. I just wish that I could think the way everyone else is thinking about this, except that's not us. We've been made new in Jesus. We think differently. The pattern of our life and our thinking and our attitude is different than what everyone else is patterning their life on. How many know that as a church, we are called to be counter-narrative to the story that the world's telling? We live countercultural. If the church stops being countercultural, then we will have lost any purpose and relevance in our society. When the world looks at us and goes, what is the point of church? There is no point of church unless we are actually standing telling a different story than the world is because we're telling the story of God and the story of God's new creation and his new humanity for his people. It can be tough being the one who stands out all the time telling that story. But Jesus says this, he says, don't give up, don't lose hope, continue to reflect the Father. Leslie Newbegin, he says, we must live in the kingdom of God in such a way that it provokes questions for which the gospel is the answer. One last story and then I'll close. My father-in-law is an HVAC technician. He installs fireplaces, air conditioning furnaces, gas lines, all that fun stuff. And uh, for many, many years, I've been helping him on the side. Whenever I had a day off or a weekend, uh, I would help him. And, and I, it's not working out so much anymore now that I've moved 5,000 kilometers away. But last summer, I was helping him on one of my days off, and uh, there was a, a project that he was working on, and some people from my church that was a general contractor and some of the trades, and uh, I went to help him on a Saturday, and the, the homeowner came out, and she began talking, and she soon realized that I wasn't really an HVAC technician. I was just like an extra pair of hands helping out on the site, and she, you know, that led to the question, well, what is it that you really do? What's your real job? I don't know how to tell people. Sometimes I feel like I'm a communicator or a public motivator. I don't know. I'm a pastor. You know, sometimes I'm, you know, is that like a priest? Yeah, yeah, like a priest. You know, kind of people trying to understand what I do. And I said, I'm a pastor at church. And so she began to ask me about my church. And then she looked at me for a moment. She goes, do you know the general contractor? I said, yeah, I do. He goes to my church. Oh, what about the electrician? Yeah, he goes to my church too. And she goes, huh, that makes sense. There's something different about those guys. 
How many know that you may be the only Jesus that someone sees? That you might be the only person calling someone to a different way of living. You might be reflecting to them an image of Jesus that's different than what they might think or what they might expect Jesus to be. If we allow the compromise of the pattern of our life, uh, that, that we, we forfeit the ability to call this world to the story Jesus has for them. But when we live counterculturally, we live out the purpose and the intention that God has for us. I'm gonna invite you to stand this morning and as we do, just simply ask yourself this question, just to yourself. What am I thinking? Am I thinking the thoughts of God today? Am I basing my life on the principles that Jesus died for, for me to live out? Am I living fully in this new life or have I put on the old clothes and the old attitudes? Maybe you're here and you say, you know what, Pastor Jerry, I've tried to live that way, but I didn't result in what I hoped that it would. Maybe you said, I, I've tried to, to, to do that way, but things as a result didn't go the way I thought they would go. Maybe you're like, I've tried to live God's way, but I just see people around me getting ahead and, and, and uh, getting by, and it just doesn't seem fair because I feel like I'm struggling. You know, the psalmist and uh, David in the Psalms, he constantly talked about, I'm living God's way, and yet I, it seems like the unrighteous are flourishing. But God continuously calls them back to say, that's not the end of the story. There's a story that's playing out. There's a story that leads to their destruction. I don't want that for you. I want you to have this new hope, this new grace, this new life. I want to declare this truth over you today in Galatians 5 verse 9. As you live counterculturally in this world that we live in, as your decisions are different, your attitudes are different, as your light shines in the darkness, I want to declare this over you, Galatians 5, 9. It says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Today, we gotta to throw off the old ways and put on the new ways by letting the Holy Spirit change the way we think and act. Heavenly Father, I pray for my friends today. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come on this Pentecost Sunday, God, where you transform our thoughts and our minds towards you. God, for those of us that are struggling to live out this truth in a polarizing world, God, I pray for confidence, courage, boldness, and strength, God. Lord, I pray that the story that we are telling would be a compelling story to this world that's looking for hope, that's looking for uh, truth, that's looking to make sense of this world that we live in. Help us to come alongside someone this week, we pray, who needs to hear the story that we have, that we're not just turning over a new leaf and becoming nicer people, but Lord, that you've given us new life and you've made us new. We thank you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.